Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Gart. You know, if we were to uh, attend the movies in the summer, we would usually be exposed to what the movie industry calls blockbuster movies, which are often um, exaggerated movies about comic book style characters. And I'm sure some of you or your children or grandchildren could name the large movies that uh, predominate in the summer, whether they're Superman, Batman, Avenger movies, Iron Man 1, 2, or 3. And even some of the cartoon movies offer us uh, new visions of what heroes are. So I thought that for the next couple of weeks, I'd speak with you about Jewish heroes and particularly look at uh, some of the uh, ancient heroes that are rarely discussed. Of course, it's often that we chat about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rebecca, um, Leah and Rachel, who are considered the patriarchs and matriarchs of the ancient Jewish people. And of course, it's not unusual that we um, chat about Moses. Um, and uh, there was a recent movie about Noah. Um, and so those biblical heroes um, are easily known and um, are discussed at great length, whether on air or in print. Um, and there have been movies made about all of them, going back as far as the infamous Cecil B. DeMille, The Ten Commandments, or Steven Spielberg's The Prince of Egypt. This morning, I thought I'd begin with a conversation about some lesser-known heroes from what's known as the Rabbinic Period. The Rabbinic Period is uh, usually associated with the time frame of uh, approximately 100 years before zero, 100 years before the Common Era, up and through the completion of the Jewish legal text, the Talmud, in the mid-6th century of the Common Era. But this morning, I'm going to chat with you about some of the earliest heroes of that period. Often, people um, in the Jewish tradition use the acronym Chazal, Hachmenu Zichronam Liveracha. Chazal is not a single person. It's a term that refers collectively to the rabbis of that period. In a strict sense, Chazal refers to the final opinion expressed in the Talmud. But the term is sometimes used more loosely to refer to the generally accepted opinion of any of the wise people who have contributed to Jewish law. And so this morning, I want to chat with you, as I've already indicated, about the rabbis who might be included in the term Chazal. The first of the best-known rabbis were Hillel and Shammai. 
These two great scholars were born a generation or two before the beginning of the Common Era and are usually discussed together and contrasted with each other. Because they were contemporaries and leaders of two opposing schools of thought, known in the Talmud as houses or schools. The Talmud records over 300 differences of opinion between Beit Hillel, the school of Hillel, and Beit Shammai, the school of Shammai. And in almost every one of these disputes, Rabbi Hillel's view prevailed. So let us talk about Rabbi Hillel, who is generally considered one of the great rabbinic heroes of the early uh, stage. And in fact, sometimes he is called um, the greatest hero. He was the Nasi, probably untranslatable, but which is also been tra- which is often translated as the prince or president. It was actually a position that combined religious and secular leadership and was the highest position of leadership in Jewish society during the several centuries preceding and several centuries following the destruction of the Second Temple. Hillel himself lived at the beginning of the century preceding the destruction in 70, and sitting opposite him at the head of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, and filling the role of the Av Bet Din, the Chief Justice, was during Hillel's time his colleague, Shammai, with whom he had in their respective groups of students numerous classical disagreements as I've already mentioned. In addition to his contributions to the understanding of Jewish law, Hillel is famous for a number of incidents in his personal life and ethical pronouncements that he made. And it's often these ethical pronouncements that raise him to the status of uh, hero. The most famous, perhaps, is the incident which occurred before his rise to leadership when he was not yet a scholar, but had a burning desire to study Torah. At that time, Torah study was tightly controlled and limited only to those of the highest caliber and those who could pay for it. Hillel, according to tradition, working as a woodchopper, did not have enough money to pay for entry into the Beit Midrash or the school. So on a freezing, snowy, cold day, he climbed upon the roof of the study hall and lay at the skylight listening to the lecture until he froze. The next morning, when scholars looked up and saw that their skylight did not reveal the sun, they had the custodian climb on top of the skylight to see what was blocking the sun, and they found the frozen body of Hillel. They retrieved his body... They brought him back to life and changed the policy so that anyone who wished to study could come in and do so. And it's because of Hillel that Jewish education has become accessible to all who wish to access a formal or informal Jewish education. 
The second story that I would share to you refers to a uh, certain non-Jewish wise guy, uh, as it's known in the text, who came to scoff at the Torah. First, he came to the home of Shammai and then to the home of Hillel. He said to Shammai, teach me the Torah while I'm standing on one foot. Shammai, sensing that perhaps there was a little cynicism and sarcasm here, had him thrown out of his home. And from this story, probably mostly, Shammai has received the bad rep as being a short-tempered person who did not suffer fools lightly. However, this is certainly not the case since it is Shammai himself who teaches receive everyone with a smiling face. When the individual came to the home of Hillel with the same request, Hillel responded, no problem. The main idea of Torah is to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is commentary. Now, if you're really interested, Hillel says, go and study the commentary. So impressed with Hillel's response, according to Jewish tradition, that the visitor took Hillel up on his instruction and began to study the Torah seriously and became a Jew. In a third incident of Hillel's ethical principles, we find this quote associated with him in that section of the Mishnah, an early rabbinic text, Um, And it says, according to Hillel, be among the disciples of Aaron, loving peace, pursuing peace, loving God's creatures, all of God's creatures, and bringing them close to Torah. And again, in uh, that section of Mishnah, the rabbinic text called Pirkei Avot, Hillel is quoted as saying, Do not judge your fellow until you reach his place. We, of course, understand this as don't um, judge a person until you've walked in their shoes. This is from the Prince of Sanhedrin. That is fundamentally impossible for one person to judge another because no one ever occupies the same place. That is, no person ever experiences exactly the same circumstances as another. Yet, the Torah commands us, according to Hillel, in fact, to judge others, playing by its rules, which are designed to reach the ultimate level of fairness that a human can reach. So you can see that uh, Hillel, a great jurist, but also a great proponent of ethics, was um, certainly one of the great heroes. Hillel's rulings were often based on concern for the welfare of the individual. For example, with regard to the remarriage of an aguna, a woman whose husband is not known with certainty to be alive or dead, the view of Hillel was that she can remarry even on the basis of indirect evidence of the husband's death. Another example of his leniency Um, is the story that I told you about um, the non-Jew who comes to learn um, about um, Judaism. Hillel 
is certainly understood to be someone who uh, had a great desire to make the new form of Judaism, Rabbinic Judaism, accessible to other individuals. I want to now talk to you about one of my favorite uh, rabbinic heroes, Rabbi Akiva. Among the many great heroes in Jewish history, Rabbi Akiva arguably represents a combination of everything that we consider heroic about the Jewish people. At the least, he is one of the most beloved figures in Jewish history, a person whose influence and stature is a source of inspiration throughout all the ages. Whatever one says about Rabbi Akiva, one can never say enough. The Talmud compares him favorably to Moses, which you can imagine is the ultimate compliment in the Jewish lexicon. He is offered throughout our history as a national hero. And there are a number of reasons why we elevate this gentleman known as Rabbi Akiva to such a high position. First, he represents every man, so to speak. He did not descend from the Jewish aristocracy, the priesthood, or did he have noble ancestry. He came from a family of converts. There is an opinion that his father was a convert. If not his father, then certainly his grandfather was. Not only that, but he descended from the evil general Sisera, who was the persecutor of the Jews at the time of the judge Deborah. The rabbis tell us that the descendants of Sisera, the Babylonian uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, and even Haman studied Torah and became prominent Jews. Interestingly enough, in our modern times, there are descendants of German officers and the SS, as well as other descendants of the persecutors of Jews who found their way to the Jewish people and even in areas of prominence are noted in the Jewish world. Nevertheless, Rabbi Akiva's lineage created a social handicap. It says to be careful of converts 36 times in the Torah. There is no mitzvah that is repeated so many times. The reason is because it is human nature to be clannish, to not like outsiders. Therefore, the Torah emphasizes over and over again that we also are strangers in a strange land. Nevertheless, apparently we do need that reminder because sometimes we behave that way towards others, forgetting that we are strangers in strange lands. Although Rabbi Akiva's life began handicapped in the sense that he liked pedigree in a society that honored pedigree, he turned it into a positive symbol by becoming the everyman who has within him the ability to rise above his limitations and truly become great. Rabbi Akiva had a second great handicap. During the first 40 years of his life, according to tradition, he was unlettered and unschooled. Imagine that later in life he would be known as a scholar so great that he compared to Moses 
was illiterate up until middle age. He had to go with his young child to school to learn to read the Hebrew alphabet. And not only was he unlearned, but resentful of those who were learned. The Talmud records him as saying that he had such hatred for Torah scholars during those evil early years that had he had the chance, he would have bitten them like a wild donkey. What turned him around? Why did he, according to Jewish tradition, overcome his resistance to those who were learning? The story is told that once after despairing that he could never understand the Torah, he saw water dripping onto a rock. And even though the water fell drop by drop, it had eroded the rock. The verse in Job says, water wears down rock. Even great stones are rubbed smooth by the force of the water. And this became Akiva's motto. If water can wear down a stone, Akiva could become a scholar of Tover. If water could wear down a stone, he said, then every person can study Torah. If water could wear down a stone, he said, the Jewish people could overcome the great empire of Rome. If water could wear down a stone, he said, then the temple could be rebuilt. While still illiterate, Akiva became chief shepherd to one of the wealthiest men in Israel, Kalba Savua. Once he chanced to meet Kalba Savua's daughter, Rachel, who was so impressed with his character that she consented to marry him on the condition that he would devote himself to Torah study. When the wealthy father-in-law learned of their marriage, he disinherited them and the couple lived in dire poverty, according to the Talmud. However, Rachel continued to believe in Akiva and encouraged him to leave home to study Torah. He left for 12 years and then returned. Before greeting his wife, he overheard her say to a neighbor, if he wants to go back for another 12 years, I would gladly agree to it. He then returned to his studies for another 12 years. In those 24 years, he studied under great men like Rabbi Eliezer ben Hyrcanus and Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hanina, even Rabbi Tarfan, whom we meet all the time in the Talmud with Rabbi Akiva, originally was this great teacher. Nevertheless, Rabbi Akiva rose to become a colleague with them. He rose because of his great tenacity, as he said, because even a drop of water can wear down a great rock. After 24 years, the tradition tells us that he returned home with 24,000 students, head of the largest student uh, school in the land of Israel. Although his reputation uh, preceded him, his father-in-law did not know that the great coming man coming to town was his son-in-law, Kiva. Nevertheless, he had been harboring regrets over his vow to disinherit his daughter and decided to ask the great man if he, Kalba, could annul his vow. Had you known that her husband would uh, come a great man, would you have vowed? Rabbi Akiva asked his father-in-law. 
Why, even if he knew one chapter, even one law, Kalba, the father-in-law, answered. And Akiba said, I am him. He bowed and kissed him on his feet and gave him half his assets, according to Jewish tradition. The Talmud said that during the course of his life, Rabbi Akiva became wealthy from three different sources. The first was his father-in-law. The second was from a shipwreck. There had been a large treasure hidden in the front part of the ship, and when it washed up on the shore, Rabbi Akiva found it. The third source of his wealth came from his third wife. After Rachel died, he married the widow of the Roman procreator, who was brutal to the Jews. Nevertheless, this wife had a different soul, and after he died, she converted to Judaism. Rabbi Akiva eventually married her, and she brought with her the wealth of her previous husband. Rabbi Akiva was a wealthy man from different sources, but it was not the wealth that made the man. It was Rabbi Akiva. It was his inner wealth that made him. He was wont to follow the words of Hillel, love your fellow man as yourself. This is the great rule of Torah. He fulfilled it in many ways. According to tradition, he was in charge of charity organizations and supported all the poor people. It was Rabbi Akiba who said that if all the Torah is considered holy, then Solomon's Song of Song, which uses the love between man and a woman as a metaphor for the love between God and Israel, this was the holy of holies. It is one thing to love others and love God when things are going well. However, it is another thing to feel and express that love when times are tough. Rabbi Akiva suffered tremendously throughout his life and in many ways, experiencing all sorts of terrible events and defeats. Indeed, he lived the life of Job. Yet though he lived the life of Job, his soul churned out songs of love. When Rabbi Akiva was being tortured to death by the Romans, he said, Loving God with all one's soul means even if he takes your life. Rabbi Akiva's favorite maxim was, all that God does, he does for good. Once after he was unable to find a place to sleep in a certain city, he passed the night alone in the forest and repeated his maxim calmly, all that God does is for good. Then one after another, a lion devoured his donkey, a cat killed his rooster, and a wind extinguished his candle. And each time, Akiva is said to have told us, all that God does is for good. And when dawn arrived, he discovered that a band of robbers had fallen upon the city and carried its inhabitants into captivity. Only he had escaped because his donkey and rooster were not around to make any noise, and his extinguished candle did not give away his location. Perhaps the greatest story of Rabbi Akiva had to do with supporting Bar Kokhba. He was one of the leading rabbinic supporters of Bar Kokhba and declared him to be a messiah. Remember that Bar Kokhba led a second revolt of the Jews against the great Roman Empire, and it was an even greater failure uh, than the first revolt in 70. 
One might have thought that after the debacle of Bar Kokhba, Rabbi Akiva would fall apart, especially considering that he was an old man by then, well over a hundred years. He had every reason to go to his death quietly, yet he started all over again and taught Torah to five students who would become the next generation of Torah leaders. And although the man who once had 24,000 students only now had five, nevertheless, it was through these five that the Jewish people were rebuilt. They did what Bar Kokhba couldn't do. They beat Rome. They became the waters that wear down the rock. When Hadrian, the Roman Empire, issued his terrible decrees outlawing the practice of Judaism, and in particular making it illegal to teach Torah on the pain of death, this following the great Bar Kokhba failure, it was Rabbi Akiba who boldly stood up in a public square and began teaching Torah. The Romans indeed arrested him and put him in prison. In the same prison was his friend Pappas, who was caught for selling goods on the black market. Happy are you, Rabbi Akiva, that you were arrested for teaching Torah? Woe to Pappas, who was arrested for trying to make a few bucks. Akiba was executed by the Romans on the eve of Yom Kippur in the city of Caesarea Caesarea, where even today one can see the ruins of the Hippodrome, which was the arena where the Romans executed people publicly. Even as they tortured him to death, he recited the final words of a Jew, the great proclamation of faith in God and God's oneness. Hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. Akiva, Hillel, great rabbinic heroes. That is why even during the summer when we could be thinking of Superman and Batman and other kinds of mythical uh, cartoon characters, we in the Jewish community turn to our uh, characters of the ancient past, our rabbinic heroes, who lived and died to give great meaning to Torah. There are many more rabbis that one could speak about uh, during the summer months. We certainly have uh, Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was a disciple of Hillel. He is called the father of wisdom and the father of scholars because he ensured the continuation of Jewish scholarship after Jerusalem fell. And we certainly could speak about Judah Hanasi, the rabbi who, after the Roman destruction of the Jewish people, wrote the first part of Jewish law known as Mishnah. And there are many, many more rabbis of that period to discuss. Jewish heroes, not with superpowers, but with super faith. Jewish heroes, not who fly to get to heaven, but reach heaven through their faith. Jewish heroes, individuals whose lives are not caricatures, but role models for those who want to know Jewish faith and Jewish facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, saying shalom and have a nice day.